0: section two of the national geographic magazine volume nine february eighteen ninety eight this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. dot org gardner green hubbard memorial meeting part one president a graham bell read by larry wilson Dr.
1: George M. Sternberg, read by Andrew James;
2: Professor S. P. Langley, read by Alan Mapstone;
3: the Honorable William L. Wilson, read by Betty B.; Dr. Caroline
4: A. Yale, read by Avahi;
0: Gardner Green Hubbard. Memorial meeting held in the city of Washington, January 21, 1898 professor alexander graham bell L.L.D., president of the national geographic society presiding a familiar face has departed from among us and the place left vacant we cannot fill the president of the national geographic society the hon gardner green hubbard died december eleventh at his home twin oaks he himself arranged for this meeting to commemorate the tenth anniversary of the founding of the national geographic society and it has seemed peculiarly appropriate to the board of managers that it should be made also a memorial meeting to himself on behalf of the national geographic society i desire to extend a very cordial welcome to the representatives of the other scientific societies who are present with us on this occasion and to the many personal friends of mr hubbard who have honored us with their presence of the many letters of regret that have been received from gentlemen unable to attend i will read but one this letter is from the executive mansion dated january twenty first eighteen ninety eight it is as follows my dear sir i beg leave to acknowledge the courteous invitation to attend the memorial meeting in honor of the late gardner g hubbard to be held under the auspices of the national geographic society At the first congregational church this evening the president wishes me to express his sincere regret at his inability to be present at this meeting as he would have been very glad to join with mr hubbard's friends in paying tribute to his high character and the commanding influence of his noble life signed john addison porter secretary to the president a large number of telegrams have also been received but i shall read only the following cablegram from the honourable andrew d white ambassador to germany who sends this message i unite in very affectionate tribute to mr hubbard a faithful friend patriotic citizen devoted public servant and true man signed andrew d white it will not be my place to speak to this assemblage of the interest and the work of mr hubbard in connection with the national geographic society as that will be done by one far more competent general a w greeley mr hubbard's heart has for many years been especially devoted to the geographic society his last thoughts were of this society and of this meeting the tenth anniversary of its foundation so peculiarly wrapped up in this society was he that his family entrusted his remains to its board of managers the members of which personally carried his body to the grave mr hubbard was a man of large views i know of no man who could take so broad a view of things as he could or who was so well fitted to occupy the position to which he was elected in this city and which he esteemed above every other honor of his life the position of president of the joint commission of the scientific societies of washington his views were not confined to narrow horizons without making any claim to be a specialist in science himself he had an exceedingly clear conception of the relations of the sciences one to another and he was therefore admirably fitted to be the president of such an organization as the joint commission we who are more especially identified with the national geographic society feel that our friend and leader has been taken from us and i know that in the joint commission a similar feeling is expressed i will call upon general george m sternberg surgeon-general of the united states army who is acting president of the joint commission of the scientific societies of washington to speak to us on behalf of that body
1: it is my privilege to pay a brief tribute to the memory of my departed friend and late associate upon the joint commission of the scientific societies of washington mr gardiner g herbert Mr. Hubbard was elected president of the Joint Commission at a time when this organization was in a state of unstable equilibrium due to the differences of opinion as to the nature and extent of the powers which should be conferred upon it by the several societies whose governing bodies constituted its membership. He looked upon it as an organization which properly directed might accomplish useful results in the diffusion of scientific information and which would prove a bond of union between the scientific societies of Washington and enable them to act together in matters of common interest. These objects commanded his sympathy and active cooperation, and from the time of its reorganization with increased membership and extended powers in January 1895 to the day of his death, Mr. Herbert was the president of this body we owe much to his experience and skill as a presiding officer to his practical methods of dealing with business matters coming from the executive committee and to his cordial sympathy with the objects in view if as we now hope the joint commission as a natural process of evolution shall become the nucleus of the washington academy of sciences mr herbert will always occupy an honorable place in the history of this academy of sciences he was in the habit of disclaiming any pretensions to be considered a scientific man if only those who are engaged in scientific research work are properly so called his modest disclaimer may be admitted but it would be well for many of the scientific men of the country if they could take as broad a view and as intelligent an interest in the general progress of scientific knowledge and of applied science in all departments of human industry and art as that manifested by the late president of the joint commission his interest in science was catholic and no doubt found its inspiration to a large extent in that genial and generous humanity which was so characteristic of him anything calculated to promote the comfort and happiness of those about him and of mankind in general was to him a matter of interest and this kindly feeling led to the generous hospitality and cordiality of manner that all have experienced who enjoyed the privilege of his acquaintance. He quickly recognized merit and earnest effort in any department of human endeavor, and his ready sympathy and practical advice were always at command for the advancement of any good cause. With him, acquaintance quickly ripened into friendship when he was brought into contact with one whose work and character commanded his respect. Although his age and extensive personal interests might have excused him from active participation in the management of the affairs of the Joint Commission, he was too conscientious to neglect any of the duties pertaining to the office which he had accepted, and at meetings of the executive committee his kindly presence was seldom missed. Prompting his attendance and expecting others to be equally punctual in keeping their appointments, he had a happy method of dispatching business and of checking unnecessary discussion and dilatory proceedings he manifested no intention or desire to overrule the wishes of the majority in anything relating to the organization and interests of the joint commission but as presiding officer did his best to promote harmony and to carry into effect the measures which were evidently favored by a majority of the members of the organization So far as his relation to the Joint Commission and the Scientific Societies of Washington is concerned, I have nothing to add, but I cannot close without expressing my personal sense of loss and bereavement. Although my acquaintance with Mr. Herbert dated back only to the year 1893, I had learned to look upon him as a friend and to appreciate his cordial greeting when we met at one of the pleasant things in life he was so young at heart and in appearance that i scarcely realized that he was much my senior in years and the announcement of his death after so brief an illness came to me as an unexpected shock those of us who knew him well will continue to cherish his memory as that of a public-spirited citizen a lover of truth a promoter of good works and a trusted friend
0: mr hubbard was a regent of the smithsonian institution and took great interest in its progress i shall ask professor langley and the hon william l wilson president of the washington and lee university and ex postmaster-general of the united states to say a few words on behalf of the smithsonian institution
2: i knew mr gardner hubbard for many years and i owe some of the very pleasantest hours of my washington life to the kindness and hospitality i received in his home among the many occupations of his own varied life there were few in which he took more interest or was more zealous than in his duties as regent of the smithsonian institution it might seem as if i as secretary of that institution could with propriety give an account of his relations to it that however can be better given by another and since we have here tonight the gentleman whose name has just been mentioned, the late Postmaster General, who, as a resident of Washington, became not only a regent, but a member of the Executive Committee, and a colleague of Mr. Hubbard, and who comes here in spite of his engrossing duties of the university to speak to us tonight, I feel that I cannot do better than to give place to him and ask him to speak of one whom he knew so well in this connection and whose relations as a colleague have been more intimate than
3: mine to those who were permitted to enjoy the personal friendship of mr gardner hubbard and to garner up gracious memories of intimate associations with him the first and strongest impulse to-night naturally is to speak of him as a man to recall and commemorate the qualities and virtues that lay at the foundation of all that he was and all that he did the world outside the circle of his acquaintance may sometimes have regarded him merely as a man of large possessions his occasional fellow-workers in the varied fields of his activity and interests doubtless regarded him as a man of great achievements those who were privileged to enter the closer circle of personal friendship knew that however ample those possessions however varied and admirable those achievements they were much less than the man himself they were the natural almost the necessary fruit of a clear intellect a strong will and above all a moral force that instinctively arrayed itself with generous sympathy on the side of the true the beautiful and the good The good causes of which Mr. Hubbard was ever the discriminating and liberal, though modest patron, the good work in which he was, to the very close of his life, an active participant, were not external to him. They were, one and all, part of his own nature. He was too self-respecting a man to court notoriety, either as a philanthropist or as a patron of education or science, by ostentatious benevolence. Now that mr hubbard is gone from us forever we begin to realize how large how unique and how beautiful a part he bore in the social charitable and intellectual life of his adopted city washington is doubtless destined to become more and more the residence of men who have won fame or fortune in other parts of the country and come here to make their homes amid congenial surroundings homes of hospitality and not seldom homes of refinement and culture. Mr. Hubbard did this, and he did more than this. No home in Washington has dispensed a more charming and constant hospitality than his. He came to Washington with an acknowledged social position, with well-known and honorable lineage, with liberal education and refined tastes, with large and successful experience in the business world, with a mind stored and broadened and liberalized by much reading and much contact with men and things in his own and other countries for such a man it was inevitable that he should become associated with every form of charitable educational and scientific work in this country that appealed to a man of public and patriotic spirit and if he became connected with them it was as inevitable that he should become a leader in them his election as professor bell has told us to the presidency of the joint commission of the seven scientific societies of washington is but one illustration of this the congress of the united states chose him a regent of the smithsonian institution his associates on the board made him a member of its executive committee charged with the personal supervision of this institution and of the scientific department which congress had placed under its administration professor langley has said that i would speak of him in this connection to-night and yet what can i say of him here that would not be true of him in everything and in every duty that he assumed it was not in the nature of mr hubbard it was not the habit of his life to be a mere ornamental holder of positions to be a mere routine worker high as was his personal regard and unstinted his admiration for the ability and scientific attainments of the secretary of that institution and the heads of its bureaus, he wished, if possible, to press still forward, and at the last meeting of the Board of Regents, on his motion, a committee was appointed, of which he was made chairman, to consider and report how the value and usefulness of these bureaus could be promoted so many-sided was mr hubbard's character so many-sided were the activities of his life that it is fitting that the tributes paid to him tonight should come from many friends and from many points of view but start from wherever they may they will inevitably meet and blend in the common tribute to the man himself i have tried to speak of him with that studied moderation which i know would be most in accordance with his wishes i have spoken of him as a man of public spirit as a patron of education and science and as a benefactor of his fellow men i will draw aside the curtain of his home life only so far as to say that in all the relations of husband and father and grandfather he was the embodiment of courtesy affection and gentleness the inbred traits of a born gentleman
0: mr wilson has referred to the philanthropic spirit of mr hubbard and i will now invite your attention to a philanthropic work of his that was unique in march eighteen sixty four mr hubbard brought into the massachusetts legislature a bill for the establishment of an oral school for deaf children the schools of this country were taught by means of spelling on the fingers and by means of the french sign language many persons had suggested that oral schools like those in germany where the deaf had been taught to speak and to learn to read from the lips should be established in america but none had been established until in march eighteen sixty four mr hubbard made the first attempt to establish a school where deaf children could be taught to speak and to understand speech by the motions of the mouth without resort to signs or manual spelling on the fingers It is not my purpose to fully set forth his efforts in this direction but simply to direct attention to the magnitude of the work that has resulted from those efforts last year there were more than five thousand deaf children in the schools of the united states learning to speak and to read from the lips there were over three thousand six hundred pupils who were taught by the oral method alone without resort to alphabets or the sign language the percentage of pupils taught by speech since these early efforts of mr hubbard's has gone on increasing 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 until we know now with absolute certainty that the time will come when there will no longer be any deaf or dumb in this country for all shall be taught to speak without resort to spelling or the french sign language the instrumentalities through which this wonderful change has been effected are largely the clark school at northampton massachusetts and the organization of a society to promote the teaching of speech to the deaf known as the american society there are three great results that were originated by the movement of 1864. First, the teaching of speech to the deaf second lowering the age of instruction to the deaf at that time no attempt was made to teach deaf children under twelve years of age and last but not least in importance the employment of women as teachers of the deaf before that time the instructors were largely men but the necessity of teaching speech to the very little child led to the employment of women this fact and the improvement in the methods have been the secret of success in teaching speech to the deaf and the work is now largely in the hands of women the american association to promote the teaching of speech to the deaf is represented here tonight by its vice-president miss carolyn a yale lld who is also the principal of the Clark School at Northampton, which sprang from Mr. Hubbard's movement of 1864. Mr. Hubbard has passed away, but he has breathed his spirit into us. In this work of teaching speech to the deaf, there are hundreds of Mr. Hubbard's friends. They are organized into a society, and they are working and accomplishing the result at which he aimed. The leader of this movement is with us tonight, and will tell us something of the work i introduce to you dr caroline a yale
4: among all the interests of mr hubbard's life possibly none extended over a longer period or was more deeply rooted in his rich nature than his interest in the education of the deaf in this as in many other departments of his activity he seemed possessed of prophetic vision in his own little child's voice he heard the prophecy that deaf children might speak and to him is due probably more than to any other one man the fact that all america has realized the fulfillment of that prophecy the results of the teaching of his own little child made deaf by illness in early childhood by means of lip-reading and speech without the use of signs or the manual alphabet were so satisfactory that mr and mrs hubbard were confirmed in their opinion of the importance of very early instruction for deaf children, and of the superiority of the oral method of instruction. They were most anxious that this method should be fairly tried, and felt strongly that such a trial could not be made satisfactorily in any of the already established schools which employed the sign method, and to which pupils were seldom admitted under ten or twelve years of age the story of mr hubbard's efforts to establish a school in massachusetts in which instruction should be given through lip-reading and speech alone may most fittingly be told in his own words he writes that previous to that time the sign language was believed in this country to be the best and only efficient method of instruction for the deaf the reports of the hon horace mann in favor of the german system of articulation had attracted attention and gentlemen from our oldest institutions had been sent abroad to examine into the subject their reports were only partially favourable and the efforts to engraft the german system of articulation upon the french system of signs then in use in our country proved a failure so when in eighteen sixty four mr hubbard presented a petition to the legislature asking for a charter for a school it was the first attempt to establish a school under the oral method in a country where for fifty years the sign method had been firmly established he says this application was opposed by the friends of the american asylum on the ground that it was a visionary project and attempting the impossible dr samuel g Howe of south boston earnestly seconded the petition and appeared with me before the legislature our efforts were unsuccessful and our proposition was rejected i determined to show that it was not a visionary project and meeting miss rogers who was then teaching a deaf girl by articulation we determined to organize a small school so that when we again appealed to the legislature we could show the results of our new system a small fund was raised Our plan was advertised in the papers, and after six or eight months we found six pupils, with whom we opened a school at Chelmsford, under the care of Miss Rogers. Miss Rogers began teaching her first pupil a few months after the failure of the first attempt to establish a school. Mr. Hubbard watched the work of this little school with most intense interest, for from the first the full import of the experiment seemed clear to his mind. If it was successful, it meant speech for the deaf, and the English language through speech. If it failed, it meant a deeper silence and a strange language of signs used in place of the language of home and country. The success of the school exceeded their expectations, and in 1867 an effort was made to secure its incorporation. Mr. Hubbard wrote, Mr. Talbot and myself called on Governor Bullock and asked him in his message to the legislature to refer to our school and favor an application we intended to make for a charter for it. To our great surprise, he told us that he had that morning received a letter from a gentleman in Northampton, offering fifty thousand dollars if a school for the deaf could be established in Northampton. Governor Bullock did refer at considerable length to the offer of Mr. Clark, and recommended the establishment of a school for the death in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. That portion of his message was referred to a special committee of the Senate and the House, of which the Honorable Louis J. Dudley, of Northampton, was chairman on the part of the House. Long, earnest, and sharp were the debates held before the committee. The advocates of the sign method still felt that a fearful mistake was being made. The Massachusetts State Board of Charities, of which the Honorable F. B. Sanborn was secretary, heartily endorsed the movement toward the establishment of the new school. Mr. Dudley had become a convert to the oral method, and used his utmost influence to forward the movement. The act of incorporation was secured, and Mr. Clark expressed his purpose to give the school the bulk of his remaining property. The little experimental school of Miss Rogers was closed. Its zealous and devoted teacher and her pupils became the nucleus of the Clark school in Northampton, which opened in October 1867. Mr. Hubbard was made president of its corporation, and for the first ten years of its existence gave the school much personal attention then followed years when he lived much abroad and when his life was overcrowded with other interests but wherever he was and however busied with other matters he always found time to visit schools for the deaf and write of their methods and results when later he was more at home and less abroad the old-time enthusiastic interest in the school seemed to be roused anew he rejoiced in the growth and expansion of its work its adaptation of kindergarten methods its establishment of a training class for teachers and most of all he rejoiced in the higher intellectual work accomplished which made it possible for a steadily increasing number of pupils to leave the school fitted to enter higher schools for hearing young men and women and to pursue their studies as students, simply, in a world of ordinary students, becoming a part of the great world of speaking people. In 1890 the American association to promote the teaching of speech to the deaf was founded by Dr. Alexander Graham Bell, the husband of the little child whose need for special instruction first led Mr. Hubbard to take an interest in the instruction of the deaf. The specific objects of its organization were to aid schools for the deaf in their efforts to teach speech by training teachers and by disseminating information in regard to methods of speech teaching into dr bell's plans for this new organization mr hubbard entered with all the enthusiasm which he gave to his early work he was its first vice-president and the wisdom of his council and the strength of his purpose have done much to guide the association through the difficulties of its first years of work and to give it the position which it now holds as the most influential and effective organization connected with the education of the deaf in this country probably in the world its membership including in addition to a large number of teachers many other persons like mr hubbard and dr bell who are most effective promoters of the work of the association the influence of these two institutions in the founding of which mr hubbard bore so active a part the clark school and the american association to promote the teaching of speech to the deaf has been most widespread both in this country and in europe Today, one-half of all the teachers in the schools for the deaf in america are teachers of articulation and over one-half the pupils in those schools are taught speech beyond these definite results the effect of the growth of oral teaching in this country has been most stimulating to the general work of the education of the deaf and at every turn and on every marked occasion the influence of mr hubbard has been felt in this expanding and liberalizing movement surely the work and the workers must sadly mourn the loss of a leader and a friend one clear of vision strong of will And kind of heart.
0: End of section two.